It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national sports topic or two. We got a gambling segment, uh, actually a kind of a fresh topic in that regard on the podcast this week and the uh, favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question on any topic, just go to Twitter with the hashtag ask skinny anything. We've got a great holdover question from last week that required some thought. I put some thought into it. I hope I gave, I give a good answer cause it's a very difficult one, but we'll get to that a little bit later on in the podcast. Rick uh, got a lot to get to. Well, let's get to it. All right, skinny. We'll start with the Bengals, which had every single player show up to the facility on Tuesday for the first of 10 OTA sessions. None of which players are mandated to attend. Three of those players, center Trey Hopkins and defensive tackles DJ Reader and Rennell Wren, were doing rehab work on the side as they recover from injuries. But everybody else participated, including Joe Burrow, who took part in some light passing drills and said his knee was about 80 to 85% healthy, which I'm sure one Chad Johnson was loving to hear. Uh, Does it mean anything to you that the entire team showed up for the first day of OTAs? Or is it totally meaningless at this point of the year? Yeah, I, I saw a lot of uh, divergent thoughts on Twitter in that regard. A lot of yeah. Bengals fans were, <laughs> were stoked by that and geeked by the fact that, hey, they're all in. Um, you know, I saw the other side of, you know, what does it matter? It's just OTAs. And, and there is some of that element to it, for sure, because these are about as light. If you want to talk about light practices, man, these are about as light as you get. I mean, they really and truly are. It's really for some teams, it's just a matter of honestly, just kind of getting back into a routine, you know, getting players used to going through the meeting process. You know, there is some technical things you can do as as Zach Taylor pointed out, you know, where guys need to line up in in certain circumstances, making sure you have your landmarks proper and all those things, but it's pretty much just a kind of a good old get together. But I wrote a column on this, uh, Rick, Actually, I wrote it last night, so it's up on the website at local12.com today. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It, to me, listening to the players, it sounded like it mattered to them that they were all there. They all got together on Zoom. Uh, don't forget, some teams have opted out of OTAs completely, where they, you know, they just said, we're not going to do it as a group. They got together on Zoom, and as a group said, we're going to do this or we're not going to do it. And they all said, let's do it. And so that's where I think it doesn't matter is it yeah, as I, as I wrote, I mean, this could be a punchline if they start two and four, like, huh, good thing right. they showed up for OTAs while everybody showed up <laughs> on time. But I go back to just listening to, to Joe Burrow and Jesse Bates um, and DJ Reader. Um, it mattered to them, it sounded like, that, that it was important that all of them showed up, that all their teammates showed up, that Joe Burrow showed up for his teammates and not only just um, just didn't stand on the side, but participated. And even the guys rehabbing that they all showed up. And I, I think that I would say that it can't hurt. And especially because like I said, I, the, the, it meant something to the players and that's all that matters. Well, yeah. And quite honestly, it should mean something to this group of players, or at least sure. they should have enough pride and professionalism to realize that they've been so bad the last two years that they should be doing any and yep. everything they possibly can to come together and, and improve and, and look like they have a sense of urgency. Now, does this actually make the Bengals better? Of course not. This does not help them win any games, in my opinion. But it is interesting to me from another angle, and this was brought up by the media members, which was really what kind of had me laughing on Twitter this week because it goes back to something we talked about last year, and some people were all over jumping on this opportunity. But obviously, though, the reports last year about the fractured locker room, the guys would quit on Zach Taylor, the you know, it was it was divided locker room and all that stuff. And obviously everyone wanted to point out 
this week when every player is at OTAs showing up for Zach Taylor that seems hard to pitch that narrative at this point that these guys are against Zach Taylor or don't want to play for him. And I do agree with that. Like this has to say something about the level of buy-in and the level of trust that these guys put in Zach Taylor. Now, part of it could, like I said, just be that they're saying we've lost a lot of games last few years. Screw who our coach is. We're going to be professionals and we want to get better. And Joe Burrow may be a great leader and, and kind of have these guys bought in more so than Zach Taylor. That could be the case, but I do think it, I mean, it mattered. If you were going to try to say that this locker room was fractured or these guys don't like Zach Taylor, you don't have a lot of support to that narrative at this point. And you again, never, and, and listen, you never did. It was a disgruntled, and I, I said it at the time. I could do this in any losing locker room at any point of any season. You name it. You name who the head coach is, et cetera. And if you've got a couple of veterans that are on their way out the door and know it, they're going to be disgruntled about it, especially if they think they're being treated wrongly, Carlos Dunlap. And listen, I don't, I, I think he acted like a baby, but I, I get it. He wanted out and he was going to force his hand to get his way out. So, okay. But did that mean the locker room was fractured? Of course not. It meant there was a handful of disgruntled veterans. Again, I can go in any like You give me a one and eight locker room, I'm going to find me some disgruntled folk in there. <laughs> it's pretty easy to do. I, I may even find some disgruntled folk at six and three if they're not being used right. But um, I, that narrative was always an absolute nonsensical narrative. Um, it, it, and it's even more nonsensical now. I, I do think, you know, you've kind of had that roster turnover, Rick, from, from when Zach Taylor took over. And yes, there's some holdovers. Obviously, you know, Joe Mixon's of the world. Um, you know, Jesse Bates was, was Sam Hubbard. There's, there's some holdovers. But the guys I'm talking about, um, are all kind of you know, Joe Mixon. I, I can't even say Joe Mixon's not a team first guy. They're all kind of team first guys. Yeah. I, I think Joe's got a little diva in him, like a lot of players of that ilk or skill position guys do. But you know, the rest of these guys, I think, have bought into the Zach Taylor process from the beginning, and they're still being used in a big way. I think Carlos Dunlap would have bought in if he thought he was being used properly. He thought he wasn't. We've seen him do it before. We'll take plays off. He started taking more and more plays off. They decided, well, then we're not going to play you and. That's what a good coach does. If you want to take plays off on my watch, okay, I get you're angry, but I'm not going to play you. You're not going to help our football team. So I thought it was nonsensical then, and I think this proves it's even more nonsensical now. Well, I get your point about you could find that on any team, and that is right, especially if you're struggling. But I think I don't know if it's to Zach Taylor's credit because maybe you well, know, I don't know either. Yeah, I don't it, know either. Maybe it's on him to get these guys more bought in, or or maybe he should have used Carlos done a lot better, and maybe should have fixed Carl Lawson in a different way, used him differently, something like that. I don't know. But it is interesting to me that they have continuously, seemingly, even guys that still have maybe some value left, like a Carl Lawson, just kind of let go of all those those past guys who weren't, like you meant. I mean, Joe Mixon is a, is a franchise-type player that you're going right, to keep around. Right. Um, and, and Jesse Bates was already young, and he's developing into and Tyler, a really and Tyler Boyd. End. But but all these guys I'm talking about, these guys are, are guys who are kind of team first guys, right? And they were super, pr- pretty young when the the right. takeover right. happened. Right. So I don't know that's they were right. really kind of setting their way veterans on the Marvin Lewis regime. No, so, that's right. But I, I just that angle of it to me is kind of interesting because I personally did buy into that that narrative more than you or the rest of the media members around town. That look, I I would get why these guys don't trust Zach Taylor, why they don't want to play for him, especially if you're a vet. That made sense to me. And I could have totally seen there being some type of division in the locker room, even if it was only a handful of holdovers from the Marvin Lewis regime. But the one thing I do look at right now is there's nothing that can be said. You've got every single player at OTAs and they're participating, which usually OTAs is a bunch of guys standing and watching. Yes. And street yes. clothes. So- 
No, that's so, exactly. I mean, Joe, Joe Mixon participated. I mean, they all participate. The only other guy who didn't participate was Travion Williams because he's dealing with a day-to-day injury. But yeah, I mean, they all participate. I think I think Joe Burrow wanted to set that tone of, yeah, I'm not 100%, obviously, and you know I'm not, but I'm going to wing it around a little bit. I'm certainly not going to drop back or roll out or sprint out, or, and they're not going to put him at any risk, for, for goodness sakes. But I think they wanted to show Bengals fans the psyche of, of him and this team by they brought him down Rick to the end that the media was at. And they did this a lot last year where they would practice away from us and they swear it wasn't intentional, but I thought I always thought it was for whatever reason they didn't want. They brought those quarterbacks as close as they could bring to us to throw. And I think there's no doubt they wanted that scene on video without fail. And that's fine. I think the message was the fans. Here's your guy. He's here. He's here when you maybe didn't even think he was going to be ready to play yet. And there he is. And for the teammates to see him out there on the field, too. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of symbolism to what took place on 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 Tuesday. Yeah, I, I did like I don't know if you wrote this or maybe it was yeah. even a quote from Zach Taylor or something where <laughs> someone mentioned that there weren't even any loose balls rolling around on right. the yeah. around yeah. Joe Burrow's yeah. feet. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah, everything make sure. was 10 yards away from Joe Burrow at all times. Uh, I did like hearing that, but maybe maybe more so than the Zach Taylor conversation, it's the Joe Burrow conversation and what his leadership means and the buy-in that he's got from these guys. Because it almost seems to be more of that type of scenario. Like you mentioned, he said after the practice that, hey, it was important for these guys to see me out here yep. throwing to them and, and being in the huddles. Even if I wasn't able to physically participate, I would have been here because it's important. He's always gotten it. We've said that all along. He says all the right things. He has a great demeanor about him. And uh, this is kind of just another example of that. And, and again, it continues to build that narrative of what type of hopefully future star and leader this guy could be for your franchise. And to put a bow on kind of what you started this topic with, you know, maybe the, the, the factor of everybody showing up was the Joe Burrow factor, maybe more than the Zach Taylor factor. And that's fine, too. If you want to rally around the quarterback, yep. have at it, boys. Exactly. All right, Skinny, on the red side of things, uh, a big win and then a rain delay and Jeff Hoffman exits the game with some soreness. He has now been sent down. Nick Senzel is going to undergo arthroscopic surgery on his left knee. The Reds expect him to miss four to six weeks. Uh, where, Where are the Reds at? I mean, Hoffman... I think we're graciously put out of our misery. We don't have to watch him pitch again. I don't think anyone is uh, too worried about that. Does the Senzel, Senzel injury impact this team at that point? What, what is What are we looking at right now with this team after the, the struggles we saw, the losing streak, the big win over Max Scherzer? Where does this leave us right now? It leaves us where this has been for a while, just spinning your wheels to a large degree. I do think we're going to get a chance to, to, to see a little more Shogo, um, although that makes them very left-handed heavy a lot of times you you know you'll get Votto back here soon enough you'll probably you're not too far away from probably getting Mustakas back but the Senzel one I don't think it has a huge impact because he just doesn't play enough to make an impact and quite frankly when he has played he hasn't made that big of an impact you know you look at his numbers Rick he's played 163 games so far in his career um and and which is you know equates to literally a full season plus plus one single game and his numbers are pretty pedestrian I mean you know OPS have been the sixes and um, gets on base a little bit, has a little bit of pop on occasion, but can't stay healthy and really has not been the guy at all that we were told he was going to be, which was a consistent 20 to 25 home run, 370 to 380 on base percentage guy. He was you know, going to be a cornerstone of this team for years to come. I'm starting to see a guy who's just slipping more and more away because of the injury bug. And honestly, again, when he plays, he's very, very average. 
I've been kind of on this train since before the year even started that I don't know that we should be looking at Nick Senzel as a serious piece for this team moving forward. To me, he's become Ryan Friel-esque. You know, he's, he's not going to be a, a guy that you rely on, but you can move him around. He can be versatile. He can be a utility guy that has enough value as an athlete, uh, a versatile fielder. And like you said, I need, a little I, bit, I need, a little I need bit more out of yeah, I need more out of the number two pick in the draft, though, than that. But I think you're oh, right. I'm with you. But, I mean, it's too late at this point. Like, I just I just don't see any point at which Nick Senzel becomes the the guy we once thought he was or maybe even a, a regular everyday starter in this league. I mean, it's the injury thing isn't as bad as with Tyler Eifert, but Tyler Eifert had a whole lot more talent when he was with the Bengals to where you, you wanted to keep giving these chance. At this point, if I'm the Reds, I'm no longer worried about Nick Senzel as a starting outfielder for this team going forward. I mean, it's just very clear. You cannot rely on this guy making it through a season. And that that's no, no fault of his. It is what it no, is. The injury thing happens so I, to guys. I feel sorry for him. I do too. But you can, but you can no longer go into another season saying Nick Senzel is going to be, you know, hitting leadoff or second and playing center field for us. Whatever, whatever you want to pencil him into. I just don't think that can be a plan of attack any longer for this team. Agreed. I mean, you know, it's four to six weeks, you know, before he comes back and then it's probably another week of rehab and probably getting some at bats somewhere down the line. I mean, you're talking about at this stage, you're probably certainly after the all-star game, you would think. And, um, you know, who knows where the team is at that point, but yeah, I just, I don't know if I consider him a, a cornerstone any longer or not. And three years ago, it certainly seemed like you were penciling him in to be a, a cornerstone player for you. I do have one more question. This kind of came up this week again. Suarez moved to the leadoff spot by David Bell, trying to shake things up, get him going. He did hit the home run. He also struck out three times in that game. It was 0 for 2 before the rains came on on Wednesday. Right, so it doesn't seem like it has snapped him out of his his funk by any means. Uh, A lot of hand-wringing and talking about David Bell and what he's doing. I guess what, what I think about with all the conversation around this team and David Bell is, do you think it even matters who the manager is right now? Like, is David Bell costing this team at all? Would it do any good to get rid of him or replace him with with someone better? Or is this really a personnel issue like we've talked about from before the season started? I, I do think it's a combination. I mean, I, I wrote a piece on Monday, kind of what we talked about last week, that, that you know, if you're not going to get get the normal performances from Suarez and Castillo and Sonny Gray, and I lump Sonny Gray, and it's probably unfair, but again, there's a zero in the left-hand column, and... Um, you know, it's not like he's dominating. He's been okay. Um, I, I, he's been okay. But if you're not going to get major performances out of those guys, you got really no chance whatsoever. Um, but at the same time, I mean, David Bell is just a mope, Rick. He just he just doesn't inspire anything. He's got, as I wrote, he's got the personality of a doorknob. And about the only thing he inspires you to do is want to go take a good nap. And and when you watch this team play, and I hate to use the term because it's probably not accurate, but it just looks it. There just never seems to be a sense of urgency with these guys. And I'm I'm big on coaches don't need to be rah-rah guys. They don't need to be jumping you in, in a dugout and yelling in your face or anything, especially at the professional level when these guys are millionaires and adults. But, man, you hit the nail on the head with David. Like, it's too much. It's too relaxed. It's too monotonous. It's too – like, if I'm David Bell and my team is playing the way it has this year, I've got to show – some bit of emotion like the use whatever word you want urgency if that's what it is fine whatever he's got to show us something other than like you said trying to put us to sleep in post-game press conferences does that matter in the big scheme of things no but appearances do matter for something and right now your team is just seems like they're constantly asleep at the wheel and so are you 
So are you in the post-game press conference? It sounds like you just woke up, David Bell. Yeah, that, and that's, I, like I said, I, I don't know if you need to have a guy who's giving you the rah-rah every single solitary day. I get it's 162 games. That crap would wear thin very quickly. But occasionally you got to do something, man. <laughs> I don't know if it's turn over the post-game spread, challenge some cat to a fight, whatever. But it's just, it's so uninspiring. It's so dull. It's so, and they're just, they're not fun to watch because they don't, I don't like the way they play the game. I, and I know it's the way the game is played today. I just don't like the way they play. They don't run the bases very well. They're not very good defensively. They're not very good at situational hitting. Um, and, and so it's just not, a, he, you know, we, we've argued a lot about his handling of the bullpen, the lack of usage of TJ Antone at times. I mean, there's a lot of factors there that I can point to and say, yeah, David Bell's in over his head. But I also don't know if a manager will change changes much. If, if again, you're not going to get what you're going to get out of Suarez Castillo and, and Sonny Gray, and you're dealing with all the injuries you're dealing with right now. I think that's more personnel related. In fact, I wrote, it's almost a miracle, um, you know, outside of Winker and Castellanos and going five and one against the Pirates this team somehow is, is four is four games under 500 and it feels like they should be a million games under 500 with some of the underperformances they've had. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at too, is that it really probably wouldn't make much of a difference. I don't know that a good manager named, you know, Bobby Cox or someone, I don't, I don't know that they were, would make the difference for this team and turn them into a above 500 team this year, because I think the main issues are what you've already laid out. The, the big three really struggling and some other personnel holes that weren't fixed that we knew about before the season even started that, you know, they had their opportunity with the shortstop thing. They had their opportunity with the bullpen, the starting pitching. They knew what was coming in those regards and they did nothing about it. So as much as some of the things David Bell does irk me, and I think he can be ridiculous, and I really am aggravated by his overall demeanor and personality. I don't know that it matters. Like I, I have, I'm not someone who's going to sit here and call for the manager this year because he never really had a chance. If you look at what they did with this roster. Yeah. And even when you look at what, the, what they didn't do with the roster, I mean, I know everybody wants to point to the cheapness of Bob Castellini and that's fair. I'm not telling you you're wrong, but when you look at some of those shortstops, remember that were mentioned the Andrelton Simmons and the DD Gregorius's and the, the Ahmed Rosario's from, from Cleveland, uh, go look at their numbers it ain't overwhelming. So it, it's not like that they missed out on some major signing. I, I go back to, you got to have the guys who are in the prime of their careers who, you know, Suarez is two years removed from 49 homers and three years removed from being an all-star and uh, Sonny Gray and, and, uh, and Castillo are two years removed from being an all-star and, and they're in their primes. I like they got, they were all stars at age 36. I, I got to have those guys perform better. And I don't know what the answer is there. I mean, I, I'm almost the case with Suarez of, of I'm going to give him maybe through the end of the weekend. And if things are going bad, I'm going to move him back to the cleanup spot in Louisville. I mean, honestly, I, I got to get him right. I got to get him right. You, you have to do something or at least sit him for a week or so. I yeah. mean, it, it, it really doesn't matter at this point. It's not like you're giving something away by not giving him the chance to, to fight through it. You've given him that chance. He's not going to do it. He's hitting worse than any double A player that you brought up would right now. Ooh. Just just put someone else in there. You know what? Naquins, farmers of the world, bring in one of the extra catchers and let him play a little bit more at first base or something like you've got some versatility. And if nothing else, your defense stinks enough that it really doesn't matter where you're putting guys at this point. So move them around. However you need to get the lineup, the best bats that you can on the field and uh, just go from there because yeah, I, you got to do something different with Suarez at this point. You know what, Rick, maybe they can hit the reset button with the new reopening day on, on next Wednesday on June 2nd. Won't, oh, won't that be something? The well, reopening day. There's going to be a uh, parade, right? 
Jeez, well, give me a freaking break. Uh, that that's what's been missing the last few years. The, yeah. the Finley Market yeah. Parade. Maybe that'll bring back it's, some luck. Boy, I, I sure hope people come buy five dollar tickets to watch our crappy product, please. Please, and I we're going to make it a party again. We'll have a second party where no one cares. Yay. Well, well maybe they'll give out another ticket for you if you're vaccinated to, to get people <laughs> Maybe, back exactly. Two for one. Oh, Evey. Uh, right. Opening day. You got to be freaking kidding me, man. <laughs> Let's move on to college basketball. Xavier announced on Wednesday the addition of another Big Ten transfer. Jerome Hunter is a six foot seven forward who just finished his redshirt sophomore year at Indiana. He averaged 6.3 points and three rebounds in almost 20 minutes per game while shooting just over 34% from three-point range. Hunter attended Pickering and North High School in Ohio and was originally recruited by Travis Steele out of high school in the 2018 class before he chose IU. Skinny, what do you think of Xavier's newest addition? Well, obviously there's a tie there, right? And, and um, you know, even though the numbers aren't gaudy at Indiana, they're still, you know, decent enough numbers for, for that level of play that it seems like it's a pretty good get. I, and I would think that Travis having that relationship could look and say, all right, is this guy still the guy I was thinking of recruiting and can he still add up of some value to our team? And it sounds like he thinks he can. So I, I, I think it's a, I think for a lot of these fill in pieces that we've talked about for all these teams for UC UK and for UK, in some cases not fill in pieces. And certainly for UC, it's not fill in pieces. It's making sure you get a lineup and, and some backups. I think it's worked out pretty well for all, all these teams. And maybe it's pie in the sky. Cause you know, you're kind of looking very microscopically at the teams of local interest and going, well, they added, so you really don't look around and go, well, wait a minute, but they added this, they had, well, that, that's fine. But I think what these teams have done, I, I think they've pinpointed some guys they want and gone and gotten them. Yeah. I think a good way to look at this is CJ Wilcher last year was kind of an undersized forward play, you know, playing that four spot. He didn't like it. He wanted to be more of a wing, when Xavier brought back Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson this year, he saw the writing on the wall and realized, hey, I'm still going to be this undersized forward at Xavier. And he he entered the transfer portal. In my opinion, this is kind of the replacement for him. Jerome Hunter is a forward. He's not undersized in this case. He's 6'7 with a little bit more athleticism than C.J. Wilcher had. But he's basically a shooter. He's not a good defender. Same thing as C.J. Wilcher. He, you know, C.J. Wilcher probably had a little bit more playmaking ability and IQ on the offensive end than Hunter does. But I think it's a very similar for what you were going to ask out of C.J. Wilcher on this year's team uh, as likely a shooter off the bench. I think Jerome Hunter gives you a very similar type player. And he's a guy who has three years of experience in a Division I high major program. Now, you may say Archie Miller isn't a very good coach, but one thing that you can point to about Archie Miller is he demanded toughness and playing hard on the defensive end. And his teams were all, always pretty good defensively. And that's not what Jerome Hunter does well, but the biggest learning curve when you're bringing in high school uh, seniors into a college program is teaching them how to play hard on defense every possession. So at least he'll understand what a college program will look like, what type of effort is required. He, he has to get better defensively. I don't know if that's possible because he had some type of mysterious leg ailment before he got to IU. He had multiple surgeries to fix it, redshirted that first year on campus. And he, he clearly isn't the same athlete that he once was when he was at Pickering and North and was a, a star football player and then a, a top basketball recruit. So they are, they're certainly hoping that he continues to return to form a little bit and continues to improve. But at, at the worst case scenario, I think for this year's team, a year where it's must win for Travis Steele, got to make the NCAA tournament. This gives you a little more perimeter firepower, which is always a good thing in today's day and age, and another option 
at that forward spot. You've got a lot of bodies, but no clear cut rotation right now in that front court. This at least gives you another option. Yeah, no, I, I, that's where I go back to, you know, you're, you're, you're not adding some rum dumb pieces. You're adding some guys that have at least shown the ability to get it done at a, at a high major level, not, you know, not at a, not in a high major way, but at a high major level. And uh, that it's not, it's a piece I certainly wouldn't turn down if I can get it. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, anytime you're getting guys that are shooting over 34% from three in today's day and age, you're pretty much taking that. And not to mention, he's a guy that quite honestly took some bad looks. Like I was surprised looking at a shot selection that his percentage wasn't dragged down more by some of the bad ones he took. Because when he has his feet set and he's open and shoulder square, you feel pretty darn good about it going in. He's pretty consistent from that regard. Yeah, the, and the other thing, too, you talked about the defensive part. And we've talked about this, too. I mean, if you're going to end up playing two bigs together and whatnot, you, you're probably, you, I would think you're going to back down to play a little bit more zone anyway, so maybe you can hide him a little bit, too, in that circumstance. You know, it's an int- that's an interesting point because the more we keep talking about this roster, the more it I know seems it's more, like, of, a zone, more of a zone defense oriented team. Yeah. Do you want to hide Jack Dungey and Zachary Mound together? Do you want to hide uh, Jerome Hunter in there? You know, there's a few other pieces as well. So it'll be interesting to see if Travis Steele is a little more open to changing that up. I know he's he's definitely a man to man first guy and that's fine. But yeah, it does seem like there might need to be some flexibility or some creative outside the box thinking going on this year. All right, Skinny, let's get to our betting segment. Sportsbetting.ag set the over-under win totals for each of the 130 teams in the FBS. And a couple of the local teams have some pretty big numbers. Ohio State, 11 is the over-under for wins. Cincinnati, 10 is the over-under. Also got Indiana at 8, Kentucky at 6.5, and and Miami, RIP Jed Demusi. He's not dead. He just no longer works with us, but... Still miss them. They're at four and a half. So uh, love and honor, baby. Skinny, what do you what do you think about these these totals, especially with Ohio State and UC? Would you be daring enough to lay eleven or ten? I can't go over eleven, and I'll tell you in a second why. I'm not sure I go over ten with UC, but I think I'm close to leaning over ten on UC. I mean, you're talking about Ohio State having to to replace, you know, a high draft pick or a first round draft pick at quarterback, and yes, they've you know, they've, they've lost over the last few years, the Cardale Joneses um, and the Braxton Millers and the, and just keep going on and on and on of, of guys that, that, that have gone through there as quarterbacks. I'm probably missing three or four in, in the mix and they've done just fine. Um, but you're talking about having almost zero opportunity to slip up zero and for Ohio state to go undefeated wouldn't be surprising, but I'm just not leaning that way when I don't have much wiggle room. Yeah, I mean, come on, you you have to go undefeated to win the bet. Uh, even even Ohio State being as good as they are, and this year isn't the toughest schedule. And, 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 I, and I do I do think Rick, I think I think it includes the conference championship game, and that's why you've got a little little wiggle room there. I think Ooh. it includes that. Yeah, I think it does. Okay, I did not I, realize. I, I, that. Yeah, and I and I'd have to look back at that to make sure. And that's a great question. Maybe it doesn't because if it does, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not doing it. I, there's no way. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't I, love it either way. Eleven is just too much. I'm not laying. I'm not betting on eleven over under win total bets. Anyways, aren't usually enough juice for me to really be worth it. Right, just wait right. The whole year to get that money back. If you're just talking about you know like minus one ten odds. Uh, so yeah, it's just not worth it to me for that type of of win total. UC's is a little more interesting. They're at ten. I know, but I'm with you, though, because you've got road games at IU and Notre Dame. And I'm not saying they can't potentially win one of those games. I I think a lot of people kind of expect them to go one and one. But 
uh, let me ask you this. Is there a better chance UC goes one and one at IU and Notre Dame or that UC loses three games this year? Ooh, I think there's a better chance they go. Well, I think that the, the number's perfect because because I think those are the two games they lose. I don't think they lose a conference game, and I do think they can. I think they can. I think they can run the table to be quite frank. But I just don't have any wiggle room there when it's still going to be tough to go to IU. IU sitting on what eight wins, so they think IU's going to be pretty good, right? Yeah, um, I mean IU's ranked a lot by a lot of people. You know, top twelve to. 18 in the country, I believe, and UC sitting somewhere between like eight to 12. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, listen, there's a golden opportunity for UC to run the table and get in the, in the championship playoff conversation. And that's a great thing. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to have to go win at those places. That's just not easy, even for really good teams. And UC is a really good team. And then you can't have any slip up inside the league. Um, I think on both of those cases, Rick, I, I hate to do this. I think I'd pass on the bet on either one of them. Yeah, I think I would too. And again, it's it's not I think UC can hit this win total. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they they swept their conference. Now, yeah, now if I would tell you this, if they do include the conference championship game in there, I do think they can win all their, you know, their other two non-conference games for sure, run the conference table and win the conference championship, go undefeated there. That does give me a little wiggle room. And then if you steal the one of the Indiana Notre Dames, then you're definitely going over. I, I think the, the the likelihood is hits on the 10. But I have a little wiggle room if you count the extra game in there. So if I was leaning, I would lean towards the over. Yeah, I, I would, too, especially if you're talking about that conference championship mattering, which I, I think there's a better chance UC goes one and one against Indiana and Notre Dame than they lose three games. Yeah, I, I'll give you that. Uh, but I, I also it's not like they've completely dominated their conference over the last few years, even as good as they've been. Now, this may be a, a different level of team. Maybe they're even better this year than they've been in the past. That's quite possible. They've got a lot, a lot returning. They've got some some pieces up front on the defense that they've got to replace for certain. But they do have a lot of talent returning. They've got a, a really good looking team. I would lean to over the 10. But, yeah, I I. I don't think I would actually bet that um, right. in Indiana at eight in this Big Ten. I just. I think it's uh, I'm a, not touching. That's a big ask. Yeah, that's a big ask. Kentucky at six and a half. I'm not touching. I'm going under that number. I think they're I, I, I would games. Yeah, I would lean over, but not by much because I do think they're you know they're going to win at least three of their four non conference games. The Louisville game is always a toss up. Um, you know they lost a lot of guys to the NFL draft. I do like the core they've got coming back. Um, quarterback's obviously going to be a question mark, but it's a new offensive coordinator and and a new pass happier scheme. Um, we know Chris Rodriguez and they can run the football, but boy, they did lose a lot of guys, the NFL draft. And that just, when, when that happens in a Kentucky, man, that's, that's, that's hard to overcome in a year. It takes another year or two to build. I would still lean towards the over, but I wouldn't, I would not feel great about it. And finally, Jed Demusi's Miami Red Hawks. I'm not going to pretend to know what they have coming back or me, me who neither. they're going to play this year, <laughs> but I will say I'm taking the under on that. Just I knew you were what I do I, on this podcast. And uh, yeah, I, I knew you were. Yeah. I, I knew that was coming. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some ask skinny anything. And we'll start with a question that we received last week. Wanted to give you a little bit of time to, to put some thought into this. We can come up with names. So it just wasn't an awful answer. And the question is who is on the Mount Rushmore of worst Cincinnati pro athletes. And he said skinny can define worst. However, he sees fit, whether that be a bust, just a bad guy, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna start first and foremost with Achilles Smith. I mean, that's pretty that's a pretty easy one. Yes, had not, him not on a bad my list. guy. Yeah, but I mean, he, I would say he was a the, good guy. He was he wasn't a good guy either. He's lazy and he didn't really care and he just wasn't very good. And, and so and he feels that, kind of like the face of bad yes. Bengals 2000 yes. football. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a couple reds on here. How about how about we go with Brandon Larson? Remember him, Ooh, 1997 first, damn, 1997 first, first round draft pick coming off a year at LSU when he hit 40 homers, drove in 118 runs, can't miss prospect, came up and was an utter absolute bust. And you want to know the scary part about Brandon Larson was he was taking two spots ahead of one Lance Berkman. How might oh. he have worked out? Oh, man. <laughs> Why'd you honestly? That's that is a great name. I had trouble thinking of Red's names, it was, it was giving me a lot of difficulty. That is the perfect face to put on Red's futility through most of my formative years. And I will tell you, when I was considering X Reds, it wasn't just first round draft bust because boy, did they have a lot of them in the Jim Bowden era. Um, it was guys that actually at least had to make it to the big leagues in some way, shape, or form. Not it didn't have to be for long. Yep. So, my next guy on the list is 1992 Reds first round pick outfielder Chad Matola. Who had, who had less than a cup of coffee in the big leagues. And part of the reason he's on the list is the Reds took him at number five overall, Rick. Yeah, Derek you know Jeter. Taking, he was taking number six, Derek Jeter. Yeah, yeah, I did uh, I did remember that uh, one. Oh, what? What are we doing? Damn, that, those are two really good names. That's that's a good reference by you. You know what? I forgot this was athletes because then I had a bunch of like front office types that I was, I was, I had Jim Bowden on my list. Obviously, Mike Brown was on my list. A guy who made the Cincinnati Royals leave town, Joe Axelson was on my list. So I got to come back to another Bengal. Do you have a name that I'm missing that you liked? Yeah, there's a couple of them on the Bengal okay. side of things. All right. uh, two for me that jumped out right away, David Klingler, because I feel like before, yeah. <laughs> before we got to uh, the name that you just dropped, David Klingler was that guy for me. He was originally the face of Bengals being awful in the 90s when I was really young. And then the other one that I've got, and it's more of bad guy that even though he was pretty good, everyone just seemed to universally dislike Vontez perfect. Oh, ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, man. I, the Klingler one's a good one to me. Um, I just think he was he was round peg square hole kind of that they he came out of the gimmicky offense in college and the Bengals really didn't do their due diligence. And is that his fault? No, it's um, not. But that but that is to me I know. the perfect face of who the Bengals were when I was a kid. It was like, let's go outsmart the rest of the NFL and take no Klingler. Listen, Vontez Burfitt is a bad guy. Some of the bad stuff guy. I saw him do to females in the locker room, like Agreed. rubbing his junk up against people and um, just being a complete asshat. Um, yes, that, it, that's a that's a great that's a that's a perfect. So we got two Reds busts, a Bengals bust, and a Bengals bad guy on that list. I, I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah, and yeah, honestly, I'm- part of it too was I mean he was good, and Bengals fans loved him when he was really good because when he was really good, he was good just wasn't that for very consistent or very long. And a lot of it was his own self un, self undoing by committing stupid penalties or getting himself hurt and concussed constantly. That's, that's the thing is, is he was capable of so much more. You saw the flashes. We got really a, a full season or so out of him. Uh, but that was about it because he couldn't get out of his own way. And he was just so impossible to re- root for hated him being part of your team, you know, as a fan. So uh, here's another name that I actually, I liked this guy. I thought he was he was solid while he was here. I think he is he's got an unfair 
rap from the fans at this point, but I think a lot of Cincinnati fans would probably have him on here because of what he did and where he stands in Bengals lore, Jeremy Hill. Yeah. And I don't think that, I mean, it's I unfair. It's for one play, I, but I think a lot correct. of people would have him on there because I will tell you um, that rookie year, the year before um, Jeremy Hill ran them to the playoffs. I mean, he Agreed. literally had, had those. I mean, that was when they were going through a slump and decided, all right, we're going to put you in the eye, give it to Jeremy Hill. And he went for three straight hundred yard games. They won three in a row mid season. And voila, suddenly they reemerged as, as a playoff team. And um, yeah, I, I'm noting you, but I, I got, I got to go Burr. I mean, some of the, I mean, the, the, it, on top of some of the stuff I saw with him in the locker room and, and his interactions and just being a knucklehead on the field, all the stupidity, one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen him make. And one of the dirtiest plays came in a practice when Gio Bernard was coming off of knee surgery and in a practice in which they were going half speed, went full speed and went right at his knees. And as you recall, that led to a big brawl and led to a big Donnie Brook with the media and a couple of the coaches. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was a, it was an absolute horse shit move by any teammate to do it to another teammate. And that just shows you what kind of person that guy was yeah. bad guy, bad guy. He's definitely on it again. I would not have Jeremy Hill on mine, but I think if you polled yeah, I think a lot right. of Bengals fans, a lot of people would mention him first and foremost. I'm, I'm always surprised by the amount of hatred for Jeremy Hill, even to this day. Um, I had Achilles Smith on my list too. I th- think that's a good call by you. I had one more Reds name that I'm not real sure about, but I think okay. it's kind of interesting more in the, the DB category than he is bad player. Although he did flame out pretty quickly. Matt Latos. Yeah, I just, yeah. Um, but I, I thought he was relevant enough in Cincinnati. Probably correct. Wasn't correct. That long. Yeah. I mean, his wife was more relevant sadly than he was. That's true. Um, yeah, Still he is. had kind of those qualities, but yeah, I can't put him on the Mount Rushmore. He certainly, I guess, if you put together a list of candidates, um, he'd kind of be in there. But he was a productive member of a playoff team. So, yes, more for the D-bag side of it. But as a performance level before he kind of got hurt, he was a pretty effective pitcher. So so what do we got? Uh, Achilles Smith, Vontaze. Two Reds and two Bengals. Perfect. Chad Matola and, and Brandon Larson. And Brandon Larson. I, I love yes. that list. I think that's a yeah. really good top four. I'd like to put Jim Bowden on there too. Just have, have him on the Mount Rushmore with a pair of leather pants. I think the reason this guy specifically said athletes is because it would have been all no, coaches correct. and, and correct. front correct. office yeah. people. Otherwise that's, that's correct. Yeah. You're right. All right. We've got another uh, sports related question here. What's your favorite spot in great American ballpark to watch a game? Um, I always get my decks confused. The one in, in right field. Is yeah, that the, me too. Maybe yeah. Not. I, I, um, I've sat uh, two and three rows off the field for a handful of games I bought tickets for. I can remember I took my youngest daughter um, who just graduated college. This is good God. I got, actually, I got, I got tickets from somebody to sit out there and almost caught a foul or almost caught a home run with my hat. She saw it coming. She kind of cringed. I'm like, I got this. And I stuck my hat out and it took my hat away, like landed through my hat, took it off of me. Ripped it out of your hands. Concrete. Correct. Yeah. Ripped it right out of my hands. But um yeah, the, it's just a great view. Um, you know, you you can see the the depth perception of fly balls and base hits, and you're right there where the right fielder is. And I, yeah, I'm I'm a big. I don't mind sitting even in the upper deck though in left. I'm I'm I, that, that's you're not even all that high, and you get a little more depth perception to it. But either either one of those for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm big on the as low as you can sit over there in those right field behind the wall seats that that's my favorite spot as well. It's just, it's a different feeling. It kind of gives you this. You're in the game when you see right, the fielders right. running out towards you. It's, it's a different perspective than you can get really anywhere else in a baseball game. Anything that's in foul territory or out of play to me, just 
I don't know. It's, it's just different. It doesn't feel the it same. It is different. Oh, right. I'm, I'm right. fine with the seats down the first baseline or behind home plate. Those are cool too. If you're sitting close, but I really like the, those outfield seats right behind the outfielders chasing a ball towards the wall or seeing a home run come at you. It kind of gives you more of a, of a in awe feel of, of big league athletes. I'd say. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, best and worst concession stand item from where, from the reds. I'm assuming it general? doesn't say, and I'm just thinking if it's concession stand, I think you're thinking, Something that's available at almost all concession stands. So I'm yeah, going I mean, almost I, I'm, high school here. I'm I'm just oh high school man. You uh, not some of those... well, I would say beer is first of all the best concession stand item if if it's uh, not. <laughs> well, a high okay, event. yeah. If, it, if it's if it's food, I will tell you what. Some of those high schools though, Rick, in football season especially, oh. some of them grill up a mean ass burger, man. I'm not. Yep. I, it's like some of the best you're gonna have, and you're like, for three bucks, I got this thing. It's huge or, and it's really you, good. Have you ever it doesn't even need the... condiments. Have you ever had one of the Mary's burgers from Cuffcast baseball field? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Outstanding. Oh, Wrapped in the tin foil. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Those are fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. Some in that like un- Lipton's onion yep. soup. Yep. It's in a big, uh, it's awesome. Tin thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. yes. I, that's a good one too. The worst, anything like caramel corn, cotton candy ish. What's the point of that at a ball game? I know kids <laughs> like it, but what's the point? I'm with, I'm with caramel corn sucks, period. Caramel corn's awful. When you get that tin with the three, the cheese, the butter, yeah. and the caramel corn, it's always I, just caramel corn left. No one eats caramel it, corn. It sucks. That, 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 that used to seem like it was the gift at the post every third year. We get one of those tins of that crap, and you're like, I don't want this anymore. And you just kind of like sit it outside and hope somebody takes it and runs away with it. It's just, <laughs> ugh. And, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I, I'm not a, I, I will say, maybe it's the cheap in me anymore. I'm just not paying six bucks for a hot dog and eight to 10 bucks for a beer. I may have a beer, but problem for me is if I have a beer, it's going to make me have three. And at that point it's like, you know what? I'll have a few before I go, maybe sip one midway through the game and then go drink back at the bank. I just, it it feels like you're just getting absolutely you're, you're, you are literally, you might as well just bend over, grab the soap and say, say paper moon. I mean, it's, (laughs) they, they, they just try to, it's just such a, it's such a scam. I, I love my favorite ad is, oh, this week, the, this month, the Kroger meal deal. You get a hot dog, a, a pop, and a bag of Twizzlers, all for $9. What? what? I can go get the hot dog, the bun. I can make my health of the whole smorgasbord of hot dogs and Twizzlers and pop for $9. And the crazy you got to be kidding me. That is a good deal at a ballpark. It, I, it, it might be it, $12 now. I don't know. It, it is absurd. I mean, I'm, I'm big on I'll pay for experiences. You know, if I'm out doing something, like you're out at a, at a fun bar or out to nice dinner, I don't mind paying a premium for that experience being out having fun uh, paying extra you know six dollar seven dollar beers whatever does not bother me when i'm out but i I went to a reds game the other night with my cousin for the first time and you know i don't think i even went to one last year so it had been a little while before i since i had been to one and i i I did i went i hadn't eaten dinner so i go back there and i start looking at stuff and it's like it really is hard even even though you know you're going to eat and you don't mind paying for it, it really is hard to pay seven dollars for a hot dog or fifteen dollars for a fry box or what have you and then you want to get a, a, a drink with it a water or a soft drink you're paying ten dollars for a right. large drink right or seven dollars for a regular sized one which is just filled with like i mean like i again i don't want to be the old guy bitching about the 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 price of concession stands but the major league baseball stuff is still shocking every time yeah, I do and, and that's why i don't bitch about it i just don't buy it yeah. i mean it's pretty simple to I me mean, i just exactly. uh, you know there's nothing but putting a gun to your head going you must you must buy x number of dollars no if you want to give me a 5 dollar ticket i can go to the bank have me a couple beers maybe even more get the buzz on 
walk in the ballpark, bring my own bottle of water, sit there, be good with it, go back and drink again. I'm f- I-, I can live with that. And if I want to go earlier, guess what I can do? I can leave in the seventh inning of a crappy game and go do it. The, see, that's that's the right play right there. To do the Reds game right, you go over, especially with Dora now, it's really yeah. Nice. You it's go over, brilliant. you drink maybe one or two more than you should before the game starts, so it lasts you a little longer. You go right. in maybe in the second inning, third inning anyway, so you're not – not, not there the whole time. You, you you maybe drink one at the ball game, and then if it stinks, you leave early and you go back to drinking at the, the banks. So, yeah, I, I um, I'm with you on that. The, but uh, going back to the concession stand items, I go pretzel and cheese. Believe it or not, just because I think it's almost Ooh. impossible to screw up. It is impossible oh, to screw up. Unless, impossible. unless you get the pretzel that's been sitting totally there for hard. a while, totally hard. Yes, correct. But that's the only way you it's can. Very, had, it's very rare. I've had bad pretzels. I've had great pretzels, but usually almost all of them are pretty edible and solid enough. You know what you're getting with them. So I would go that as the goat concession stand item. Man, caramel corn is a great call as the worst. I don't know that I can top that. Yeah, and I'm a big. I'll, I'll buy them outside, so it's technically not concession stand. I, I won't. I'll occasionally buy a bag of peanuts. I I, I don't mind sitting there cracking nuts and, and watching a game. And it's it, it's it's not technically. I guess you can get it at a concession stand. It's a little cheaper outside the ballpark, but that's just a simple, easy snack right there during a the game for me too. Yeah, I'm. I like the peanuts or uh, sunflower seeds during the game. The sunflower yeah. seeds, though, you can't do it if you're next to people. That's the worst. Yeah. Is when someone's like spitting the seeds and they're two seats down from you, it's like. Come on, guy. Like, well, I, I've always been this guy, and this is going to gross you out probably. And I, I don't always do it, but with peanuts and sunflower seeds you more than times than not, you know. eat the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, you're a savage. I knew that was yeah. coming. Yeah, that's something you would <laughs> but do. You, but you put, but with, the, with the peanuts, with the shell on it, you get a good crunch, and you get a little bit more extra salt. It's just it's just a better – but after a while, the salt, that's what stops me. I'll do that for a while, and it's like, yeah, yeah too much the, salt. Then I'll start the cracking them. Your mouth is ripped apart yes. from – Yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. All right, and uh, we've got, if you could be any celebrity, who would you be? And before you answer, you wouldn't change and you wouldn't be a celebrity. This is a saying you have to be one. So who would you be if you had to be one? If I had to be a celebrity, who would I be? Because that was going to be your answer, oh. right? You were going to say you wouldn't change. You wouldn't be a celebrity. Yeah, I wouldn't be a celebrity. Right. Um, oh, man. I, I got to be. I know he's not a celebrity. Are we counting athletes as celebrity? Yeah, I think so. I got to be honest, man. Tom Brady's got it pretty good, bro. Yeah, that's a celebrity for sure. That's a mega Tom, celebrity. Tom Brady's got it pretty good. I mean, God gave that man a lot of gifts. And yes, I know he has worked hard to, to, you know, get to the stature he's at as a quarterback. But my man has bagged Bridget Moynihan and, and now Giselle Bunchen, And he makes mega millions of dollars, has won all these Super Bowls. And he's basically thumbed his nose at, at, at the former team that said, yeah, we don't think you can do it anymore. And I don't know. I just, he's a goof. I think he's kind of goofy but looks like he's got a pretty good life. I would, you know, I would have to consider Jay-Z. <laughs> okay. A uh, lot of money. A lot of money. Tons of money. He's He's gotten to the point where he's not like rap rich. He's like mogul billionaire mogul, rich. Yes, and yes. partly because he's married to a wife who's even richer than he is, despite him being a giant celebrity. They're almost untouchable. They like when Obama was in office, they were literally doing whatever they wanted. I mean, like they could fly to Cuba and come back. No, no, you know, like people were all up in arms about it. They didn't have to get clearances or whatever. They just call Obama up and be like, we're good. We're cool. So I would like that type of clout. That would be good. Plus, you you get to sleep with Beyonce every night. Can't be a bad thing. I would assume. Can't be a bad thing at all. The other part that I really like about Jay-Z is there's no pressure to like keep up appearances or anything. That dude is super rich. He's old and he's rapping. He's married to Beyonce and he's ugly as sin. 
he's been ugly since he was young. I like he, he can be old. He can be fat. He can be hideous. Like it does not matter for that guy. He still has it all. So I would hey. love the fact that I don't have to work out. I don't have to like keep my teeth looking good. My hair, right. He's already had that. Uh, he's never had any of that from the start. That's why the Beatles were wrong many years ago. Rick money can buy you love. <laughs> That's right. I mean, God, if, like that has to be just a total. I liked him because he was Jay-Z type of thing. I know it looks at Jay-Z and is like, he's attractive, but he, he was Jay-Z. You're Jay-Z. So he's Icon. Beyonce. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. That's like, that's, you know what? I just want someone one day to be like, hey, it's Rick Brewing on the Skinny Podcast. That's that's why I'm <laughs> that's... with him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I'm, no. I'm sorry for that. Probably, no, I, probably I, not, I, probably I not really the cards, don't. my man. Uh, how many random strangers stop and ask you about summertime short pants? This is our last one. I got a handful, um, I, not always random, but some, did, there's did, occasionally a random one that's, that asks, where did that come from? Did it happen recently? Because this question almost sounds like this guy might've done it to you or something. Um, <laughs> no, not, not to my knowledge. Um, I don't think it was random. The only, the last person that was asking me about it, I think heard me say it on the podcast and I, that I know. So yeah, I don't think that was random. Maybe it was random. I, 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 I've been so busy out doing stuff that I've run into so many people. Maybe somebody did ask me about summertime short pants. Well, there you go. That was I, I did. I went back and listened to that not too long ago because I was looking for something else um, to clip. And it does crack me up because we actually just had the conversation last week on this podcast that started the summertime short pants conversation, right. which was about folding laundry. That's right. where it all originated. So, yeah, that's why that's why I don't hang my summertime short pants. I, I fold them neatly and able to pull them out of the closet. I know that they should be hung up, but I don't even though. They're, they're, they're slacky short pants, hence the yeah. term summertime shorts. short pants. Shorts. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's what they are. I've got short. No, shorts I've got are coaching shorts and bike shorts. Those are shorts. Oh, bas- These basketball are- or athletic shorts is what those are. Yeah, okay. Well, I still call them shorts. The other ones are, yeah. are, are summertime Agreed. short pants. <laughs> they're all shorts. They these, are these all are shorts pa- for sure. These, are these though, are pants that are short. Hence the word. And you wear them in the summer. Summertime short pants. No, no pants. It's not the, it, it is very confusing. Con- the pants part is what makes that's the length. Like pants are long, not they can't be short pants. They're- I'm going to beg. I mean, you know, I'm, I may have to look in the Merriam-Webster dictionary to make sure that that's correct. You know, I'll, I I'll check did this three or four years ago when it all came up the first time. I Googled it on every website and you know what comes up? Women's capri pants. If you type that in, no one calls men's yeah, khaki I'm shorts gonna- short pants. <laughs> I will tell you this much. You won't catch me in a pair of jorts and you won't catch me in a pair of capris. I will, I will, I will draw the line of demarcation there, Rick. Although you walking around Latonia in the summer shirtless with some jorts on would be a sight to behold. <laughs> Dude, I just fit in with the masses is all. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the only way you can enter the big lot sparking lot. So. No, no question. No question. Where a murder took place not too long ago, by the way, woman ran over a guy. Shout out to Latonia. Shout out to Latonia. Used to work down there. Is that it? Yep. That's it. Great stuff. I appreciate it. We will be back again next week with another podcast for Rick Roaring. I am Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast for Weekly Potpourri Edition.